So I want to invite uh, you to please stand as we read from Acts chapter 9. From Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul, who, form, who becomes Paul, who has written much of the New Testament, letters to churches, just keep that in mind. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up. And go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here... He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The very first that we hear about Saul in the book of Acts is about a chapter before this. He's mentioned at the murder of Stephen, a faithful disciple of Jesus, someone who gets killed for telling people about Jesus. And what you read there is that Saul approved of their killing him. From that day on, persecution hits the church hard. And what, I wonder if we can picture this. Saul enters house upon house, dragging out men and women away from their families, people who are peaceful and innocent. He drags them away from their homes and throws them in prison. This is who Saul is. It's someone who breathes threat and murder against the followers of Jesus, and he's someone that believes he's acting in God's name. That is perhaps the scariest thing in this whole story. 
But Saul is absolutely certain he is right, and he's fulfilling God's purpose. This should be an extremely cautionary tale for every one of us today. That when it comes to how we think about other people or groups of people, when it comes to how we look at certain situations that are happening in the world, when we are absolutely certain we are right without a doubt that we are the ones who are following God's way, it might be a time to press the pause button, to pray, to reflect, and to actually go and talk with someone with whom we disagree. If we are not viewing people in ways that line up with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that Paul writes about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if we are not looking at people and acting in that way, then we may have made God in our own image. We maybe are looking out for our own agendas rather than being shaped and guided by Jesus' agenda. And that is always a danger, especially when we go it alone or if we only listen to those with whom we agree. Really, James Jennings talks about Saul being trapped in his own circle of logic, that he only listens to himself and thus assures himself that he's right. And I think every one of us can get trapped in our own circle of logic. We've got a circle over here and a circle over here, and we only listen to ourselves or only listen to those with whom we agree, and we're missing this whole big picture of how God might be working. Now, just as Saul is about to again enact religious-sanctioned violence, Jesus interferes. When Jesus appears, somehow Saul ends up flat on the ground. And in the brilliance of Jesus' light, he's blinded. And then Jesus speaks on behalf of all of Saul's victims, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why are you murdering me? something I heard a scholar, Ched Meyer, share at a workshop I was at last fall, that Jesus joins his voice with that of the victims. And I would add, anytime violence is done, or anytime violence is done in Jesus' name, might we remember these words, hearing Jesus speak on behalf of the victims, why, why are you hurting me? Saul is forced to hear the voice of the victims through the voice of Jesus. And perhaps for the first time in his life, this powerful, self-assured guy is knocked to the ground in humble uncertainty. Saul is far from home. This guy who used to charge in, he now has to be led by the hand wherever he goes. And he ends up in this uncertain situation without sight for three days. For three days, he sits in that uncertainty, not knowing if his eyesight will ever return. For three days, he's forced to face the truth of who he has been and what he has done, for three days, he has to consider Jesus' words, which reminds me of the three days that Jesus laid dead in the tomb while the world waited for resurrection to come. Saul waits, his former life dying before him. His life's work that he thought gave his life meaning and purpose, that is dead, that is gone. And Saul is forced to sit in that vulnerable space of the unknown, not knowing what will come, and he has to wait to see what God will do. I don't think any one of us likes to be in that uncomfortable 
uncertain space, that in-between time where we don't know what will happen. It's those times when you're going through something big or you've gone through something big. It could be a divorce or you lost your job or someone you care for deeply is diagnosed with dementia or you suddenly are struggling with depression or anxiety or all of a sudden you realize you are stuck in addiction and you realize you can never go back to what was but instead you're stuck in this uncertain space not yet knowing what will be. For us, these uncertain times usually last far longer than just three days. But Saul's story might remind us that it's in those times that even when we can't quite see God working, that God is working to create new life when we are stuck in those spaces. It's not that God causes those uncertain times, they just happen in life. But no matter what, we have this promise that God is moving, God is working, and God is trying to shape us in that uncomfortable, uncertain space. That when life is most difficult, when we are forced to be like Saul or even like Jesus, waiting in the tomb, we wait in that quiet tomb where life feels dead. And the best we can do is listen, reflect, pray, and know that we have all these people who care for us, other people who follow the way of Jesus, who are there until we are able to rise up to something new. Now, Saul... He doesn't know if he's ever going to regain his eyesight or find a purpose for his life again. But somebody else does. While Saul sits in darkness not knowing what God's doing, God is working. God is working with Ananias. He appears in a vision to Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go. Go to the guy who takes people like Ananias and approves of their murder or throws them in prison. Go talk to him. And Ananias is like, I think you got the wrong guy. This guy's dangerous. Jesus, he's persecuted your people. And the Lord says, go anyway. So Ananias goes, and I would guess it's the scariest moment in Ananias' life. Ananias only knows one thing about Saul, and that one thing is enough. This guy is dangerous. So Ananias takes a walk across town to where Saul is, and a whole lot changes in that walk. The Holy Spirit works a transformation in Ananias, too. And by the time Ananias reaches Saul's place, by the time he looks in that room and he sees this once powerful man suddenly blinded and disoriented, the Holy Spirit empowers Ananias to reach out his hand and rest it on that former murderer, Saul, and call him brother. Brother. I wonder how many people out there Jesus is longing for us to call brother or sister or sibling in Christ. One writer, I heard an interview with him once, Luis Alberto Urea. He said, there is no us and them. There's only us. And I wonder if that is Jesus' hope and dream that we would finally see each other as Jesus does, that there is no us and them. There's just us, human beings, created in the image of God and loved by God, hopefully working for the same purpose, for the well-being of one another and the world God's made. I wonder if Jesus' hope and dream is that we would move into conversation with those about whom we think we know one thing that is true, but there's a whole lot more to know. I wonder if Jesus' hope and dream is to move us into conversation with those people in Jesus' name. 
And I've been wondering for a long time, and I haven't figured it out yet, so I share it today because maybe you have an idea. But I've been wondering if the church could have listening conversations, spaces where we come together with people in the church, maybe outside the church, over issues happening in our world that we don't agree on, that it's a safe place where we come not to push our view on someone else, but we come to listen and learn. And maybe that's a pie-in-the-sky kind of thing, but I've heard of people who've done this, and it's actually changed things for them, that instead of being locked in our own circles, it's broken those circles open that we come to solutions that are more holistic and based on Jesus' love and care. Might we each be open to being real with one another and real with God about the things that keep weighing on us and getting in our way? Might we all be willing to see one another as Jesus sees us, as people who are worthy and beloved, no matter our differences, that we would embrace each other even with our differences so that we may more fully be the church, be the people who follow Jesus' way on behalf of our community and God's world today. Amen.